0: Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, you're going to hear from guest speaker and mission partner Don Biggie on what Jesus's
1: parting words were to his disciples. You'll find out in Matthew 28, 18 through
0: 20. Enjoy the message.
1: I'm I'm so grateful for you guys. You know, I met Andy. I think Andy was just getting started here. And, um, it's been a pleasure to walk with him and, and know him. And, uh, it would be wrong of me if I got up here with all the stuff that's happened since we first met to today to not express my very, very deep gratitude to you guys. My ministry has always been an extension of this place. You know, whether I'm in some village in Siberia or some, you know, poor mountain town in, in Ecuador, Peru, or even Cuba, you guys are the reason why I can get there undistracted, the gifts of God through this church keeps us out in the harvest. So how can I even begin to express how grateful that I am? Thank you so much for that and for how that's continuing. Um, The Lord has been kind of doing a renewing work in my spirit in regard to the Great Commission. And I'd like to talk to you about that today because what, what I'm going to be sharing with you are some of the most uh, important words that Jesus ever shared, but he did it in a way that most of us may not realize in a fashion that most of us are unfamiliar with. But have you guys ever been in that, that very, very difficult moment where you're with somebody who um, is leaving this world and, and what you're hearing from them are their parting words? It, it's, it's not easy, is it? Uh, but it's extremely unforgettable because a lot of the words that come out of the mouth of somebody who's about to park this life are the most important words that they might ever share. And it really makes a deep impact on you. And they're meant to. Back in 2010, my dad was bigger than life to me. Six foot five, college athlete. And he's lying there broken with not a whole lot of time left. And um, he pretty much... I had a trip coming up. I had a trip coming up to Russia. And um, I was wondering whether I should go or stay because Dad might not be there the next time I was home. Well, it turns out he looked at me and he said, Donald, you knucklehead. How could I forget? You knucklehead. You're going to share where people have not heard. I'm fine. I am going to heaven. I'm, I'm leaving now, in fact. And, and that evening, my siblings and I uh, saw Dad depart this life and go to glory. And off to Russia, I went with that new sensitivity of where, what Jesus did to make it possible for my dad to have that kind of confidence when he left. But his parting words I'll never forget. My mom, later than that, after that, um, started to struggle with dementia and eventually Alzheimer's. But for some reason, she never forgot Don, Dave, Barb, and Tim, her kids. Every time we'd go see her. She was dying during the pandemic. And they didn't want to let us in there. But there was a very gracious nurse who opened a back door and let the four of us in there. And so mom is is lying there. Uh, In her last moments, started to say, I love you. And there was a cadence to it. My mom was a very musical person. So it was, I love you. I love you. I love you. And she didn't stop saying that until God took her home. Parting words, very, very important, very significant, and Jesus had some too. Now, I'm not talking about the final words from the cross. You're familiar with those. There are many things that happened on the cross, the the conversation with the criminals, um, Jesus forgiving everybody for what was going on. Um, But I want to talk about words that he said after he was raised, as some of his most parting words. You've already celebrated in faith those things that Jesus promised on those words after His resurrection. Now, there's this term. The term is a great commission. You heard that before? Great commission. These words have been active for about 500 years. For 500 years, the church has called Jesus' parting words the Great Commission.' We've got a definition. This is the Great Commission as we understand it. The task given by Jesus to the church through the disciples that authorizes it to carry the gospel everywhere so that all peoples might have opportunity to believe on Christ as their Savior and become lifelong followers of his, of him. Um, This is a definition that came from words that Jesus said. Words that I'm going to share and go into some detail with you today. In fact, I want to, I want to compl- uh, kind of compare it to like a diamond that has facets on it. I remember when uh, I was nervous. I was so in love with Jackie. You know, I'm still madly in love with this girl. Men marry up. It's a really smart thing to do is just to marry better. And I married better. And for 45 years, um, there are many ways in which that's been confirmed. 45 years but I went to a family jeweler and I went and bought her this ring and boy was it ever sparkly now there was one diamond but it had a lot of different facets and some of the facets kind of reflected light a little bit differently just made it very beautifully but I want to tell you that there are facets um, other words known as, as statements but they're like they're like facets on a diamond let's take a look at these yeah this next one here these are the are the great commission facets or statements that i 'd like to share with you. but here's the idea behind this little graphic. Jesus died. they put his body in a tomb. He came to die for our sins as had been celebrated already this morning. but afterward there was this glorious resurrection where he proved his Defeat of sin and death and the devil by being raised again three days later. Now from that day to the day he left this world, when he ascended into heaven, he was here for 40 days. 40 days. What did he do? How did Jesus spend his time during those 40 days? What parting words did he have to give the disciples? How important were they? Could they have been some of the most important words he ever shared that needed to resonate and be unforgettable and set the pace for their lives and ours? And so, folks, this is the order in which these words were shared. You see the scriptures up there. I'm going to go through these with you. They don't look like they're in order the way we read our Bible, but they are in order in regard to when and how they happened. Each one is a different facet. A different statement made about the Great Commission that Jesus wanted to sink in. Now keep in mind, during those 40 days, Jesus was done with his public ministry. He didn't didn't run around preaching to crowds anymore, drawing crowds and, and doing miracles and even talking to the Pharisees. He was with the men he had trained and he spent this 40 days with them, pouring into them, giving these very average, ordinary men... Powerless apart from God. Unusable apart from God. These things that he did not want them to forget. His most important uh, parting words. So try to picture this. The glorified Jesus raised from the dead has 40 days. 40 days between resurrection and ascension to make his most important statements that we call the Great Commission uh, during that time. Let's take a look at the first one. Number one. Next slide. There we go. Thank you. Try to picture this now. Jesus' guys are scared. And who could blame them? They have just been through the worst trauma of their lives. They're following this leader and all of a sudden he's taken from them and crucified. Most of them either denied him or ran away. They were nowhere to be found. He was dead. He was taken down from the cross and now these guys are hidden in an upper room thinking we could be next. Lock the door. We could be the next ones arrested and have to go through what Jesus just went through. And so that's the kind of shape they're in. And then suddenly we see Jesus pull this Star Trek move with the... With the door locked, I don't, know if he, I don't know if he beamed in, but he might as well have beamed in. The door was locked, and he, he showed up, and this is what he said. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, um, I also send you. Now what we see here is what, what we would consider the model of the Great Commission that he wanted to get through to them. Do you guys really think that the world is going to be reached through the the super gifted and and stadiums full of people and special events? Do you really think that that's what Jesus had in mind? Or do you think that maybe the three years that Christ walked with his men, the three years that he spent day and night pouring into these average ordinary men was going to set the pattern for how he was going to reach the entire world through that simple model? I tell you, I... uh, I didn't, I didn't understand this. I don't know if I even believed it uh, when my mentor walked in the door of our church 25 years ago. My buddy Randy, he's a truck driver, funked out of college, um, applied for certain ministry positions after he came to Christ in a foxhole in South Korea, got rejected. I, I, think, he's, I think he's dyslexic. He has a hard time reading... This guy, he's so fun to travel with because he's always making up words that my nationals can't interpret. That's Randy. Randy came into our church. I'm a burned out, frustrated pastor who's hit the wall and he walks in with a big smile on his face with his wife and his two little kids, uh, Craig and Abigail. They now live in Idaho and New York City. They're all grown up. But Randy had this warmth on his face. And he came into our church and just sensed that this is where God had called him to be. So um he called me and uh I'm going to I'm not going to share a whole lot about this cuz I'm bringing him along on the 23rd. This this man, this very average guy I'm going to bring with. But Randy started just meeting with me out of love. He'd come off the road early in the morning all dirty, you know, having worked the docks and driving his truck, and he shows up at my house and he pours into my life the word and prayer and just loving fellowship. And, and see, he understood this model. This is what he was supposed to be doing. As the Father had sent Jesus, Jesus had sent him. He understood that. At that point in time, I, I don't really think I either believed or understood the simplicity of what, of what my buddy was doing. If you come on the 23rd, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see Randy, and you're going to see me, and you're going to see Derek, and you're going to see Howie. And you're going to see four different generations of men who have helped each other grow. You're going to see an example through the stories of these very average guys, how the Lord has done extraordinary things, simply yielding to the model of the Great Commission that that, uh, Jesus showed us. Father, Son, from the Son to the Apostles, from the Apostles to the Church. This does, by the way, include you. I was going to bring him in. I had this stack of books in my, in my car. They're sitting in. I opted not to because you guys might have looked at the books and, and just left. What's he going to do with all those books this morning? It's a stack of books by angry authors. They're all mad. I, why would you write a book when you're mad? If you were going to write a book, a memoir, or something exciting to stimulate people, would you write when you're all angry? And these are great books. Eventually, the guys calm down, and they start talking to you about these things we're talking about today. Walt Hendrickson wrote a book called Disciples Are Made, Not Born. A guy named Leroy Imes wrote a book called The Lost Art of Disciple Making." Herb Hodges wrote a book called Tally Ho the Fox. The angriest guy was Bill Hull. He wrote a book called The Disciple-Making Pastor, The Disciple-Making Church. He's really mad in his books. Now, he's, I, also, I know Bill, so he's got a great sense of humor. But when it comes to this model of God using you and me to make disciples, he's asking the question. He said, I'm throwing down the gauntlet. The, the, the product of the church is supposed to be disciples. Why isn't it? why isn't it and that's not meant to be an indictment of us i believe satan's greatest work to kill and steal and destroy is to rob each one of us of the birthright that he gave us by calling us to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples it's his plan for reaching the world and it includes each one of you each one of you that's that's the model that's facet number one. Does it make sense? So, so Jesus is with these guys, and you know, he said, peace be with you. He knows what they've been through, tries to calm them down, and then eight days go by, and we have the next one. The magnitude of the Great Commission. Here's the scripture. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You see why this is the magnitude facet or statement of the Great Commission? Folks, who's left out? Who, who does Jesus not want to hear this great news? The magnitude is that it's all the earth and every creature. Now, just to give you one perspective on the enormity of the task globally, when you look at the word nations in the Bible, it's, it's, actually, it's actually a Greek word, ethne, pantata ethne. It means ethnic. The idea of where we we have ethnic groups, you know, you know what makes up an ethnic group? Their language, where they live, their manners, their history, their customs, all the things that make a group a group. That's what the Bible means when it says nations. So there's just under 300 countries in our world. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the 12,000 or so ethnic people groups in the world. Those, Those are the nations he's referring to here. And um, praise God that he, he shares this verse because we have a missionary God and the Bible's a missionary book and there's 12,000 of these groups and as of right now, 7,250 of those are unreached. Unreached means less than 2% evangelical and still needing some outside help. It's why we're going to Ecuador. We're going to work among people groups there that, that have some known believers and some church, healthy church planting that's going on, but they really need encouragement. It's tough ground. Now, of those 7,250 within that number, are 3,000 called unengaged, unreached people groups. You know what that means? That means no known believers, no known church, haven't heard the gospel. I got this information, I've been following this information for years from peoplegroups.org peoplegroups.org, it's a a research arm of the International Mission Board and uh, these numbers are changing some great things have been happening you know um, out in uh, Buryatia the furthest reaches of where I've been spending time are the Buryat people I've spoken to you about them before these are, these are Buddhists Um, They they have shamans. Many of them worship creation. And yet the Lord is opening up their hearts and starting village churches right now. Uh, They're not unengaged anymore. That's a really exciting privilege to have the chance to see. It's the other side of the world. It takes forever to get there. It takes days just to feel normal to be able to function when you travel that far. But uh, that's, that's our Jesus. As he's building into the 11 here who are at this meeting, this is actually what we're talking about, the second meeting that Jesus had with them. The first meeting that he had on the night of the resurrection, Thomas wasn't there. This is eight days later. They're meeting a second time, and he wants the facet of this particular, these particular words to really sink in. I have the whole world in mind. I have the whole globe on my heart. This time, Thomas was there. And, you know, Jesus wasn't hard on him. I think the poor guy got a bum rap. I think everybody doubted a lot. Poor Thomas, you know, been carrying that doubting Thomas thing all these years. You know what? It doesn't doubt hit you. It hits us all. But he beelined it to Thomas. And he said, go ahead, put your fingers here. In my hands and in my feet and in my side and see that it's me. And Thomas proclaimed that he was his Lord and his God. And and Jesus basically said, blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. Historically speaking, God used Thomas to reach probably more people than any of the rest of the twelve. He got the furthest out there, you know, and was martyred for what he was sharing. So that's meeting number two. Facet number two. What's facet number three? It's, it's the method. The method. And let's look at the scripture. What's the method of the Great Commission? What did Jesus have in mind? What did Randy do with me? Keep in mind, I'm, I was an educated pastor. You know, I, I love the Lord and, and I, I thought I was doing, you know, the stuff that I'd been trained to do. But this guy actually dismantled me and, and took years just to help me unlearn stuff that wasn't good in my way of thinking. This truck driver. And you know, this started 25 years ago with this guy. We started meeting weekly 25 years ago. We still meet weekly. He always has something for me. I called him on the way down here saying, you know, th- these things are just too big for any of us to share. Who can share the glories of God? adequately. So I called Randy on my way down here and said, man, I need prayer from you right now. Would you please pray for me as I'm driving down to Kenosha to see my friends down there? And he did. This particular passage is the one that you're probably most familiar with. Before I read it, I want to explain the setting. Now the guys have to walk about three days. They're they're on a journey. They walk about three days to Galilee, Galilee is where they are from. This is where they had lived. They're going back home. And then they were told by Jesus to meet him on this mountain. So they're on a mountain. And they're looking at the risen Savior. And Jesus is about to share the Great Commission passage that we know best. And here it is. On meeting number three. And by the way, this is about a week to two weeks after the second meeting. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Does that sound familiar, folks? Yeah, that's a familiar one. Do you see the the verbs in here? There's all kinds of them. So what are we supposed to be doing anyway? There's so many different action words in here. Let's start, though, first with Jesus saying that all authority in heaven and earth had been given to him don't you let the devil come and tell you God can't use your life to make disciples among the nations. Don't you let him do that. He's a liar, the father of lies, and it's untrue. The basis of that is his model and is the magnitude of the task and this method that he's teaching us. I want you to try to picture this for a minute. How was all that authority given to the Son of Man who was talking to them? I mean... They had been with him for three years, but I think when they were looking at him on that mountain, they saw a different Savior in some ways. They saw the risen glory of the Lord and his resurrection body, and they saw something powerfully authoritative in his face, in his demeanor, in the way he talked. It was something amazing had happened. I'll just read a couple of verses for you, just soak on these. This is Daniel 7, it's just two verses, 13 and 14. Try to picture this exchange, this uh, transfer of authority happening. Daniel 7, 13, 14. I kept looking in the night watches, the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Man, as I soak on these verses, my mind just doesn't, Lord, I don't understand. What does it mean that in the clouds of heaven one like a son of man is coming? I'm trying to picture it in my mind, but my mind is so limited. But can you picture the transfer of authority that's taking place here? You have the son of man approaching the father, the ancient of days. And Jesus Christ himself is given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that cannot be defeated. That since his resurrection has begun and is here now. And continues on now. And that transfer of authority to the son is prophesied here. He sees it in a vision. And these guys look at Jesus on this mountain in Galilee and see the one to whom all authority had been given. I wonder how much he radiated when this victorious Savior stood before them with all authority. And what that meant to them. Um. Please don't let somebody tell you you're not qualified to be a disciple maker. Even globally. Don't, don't listen to that. This is the authority that has granted you the Great Commission. Also called sometimes the Magna Carta of Jesus' mission. Or the Great ma- um, Magnet. It, the, it's, it's the, um, some people have called it the marching orders of the general. Sometimes. If you like a military type of, appear, of uh, thought. And then at the end of it, verse 20, he says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So we have his authority and we have his presence. When we go to Ecuador, we're going based on the authority of Jesus sending us and his promise that he's already there and going to be amongst us. We have nothing to fear. But I tell you what, keep your eyes open, keep your ears open because you don't want to miss a thing about what he's going to do regarding what he's going to do. He's going to show you his power and show you his love for people. So his authority and his presence. But what does he say we're supposed to do? What's, what's the method in here? You see the words go, make disciples, baptizing, teaching. What, what am I supposed to do here? When, when you boil it down, folks, the words make disciples, make disciples, that's the key verb. We are called to be world Visionary, world impacting, wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ because of what He's done for us. That's the call in our lives. This is what my angry author stack the books says isn't happening. This is what Satan has just done really good at, snuck in the church. You know, Andy and the and the pastors here are so well trained. They'll tell us what to do. And they will. They will. We we need these gatherings, we need these gifted teachers. But do you understand that the methodology to go make disciples is the mandate given to you, to each of us? So make disciples. This is what Randy taught me. When he brought it up the first time, I thought I was doing that. I'm preaching sermons. I'm going on mission trips. I'm doing all this stuff, but I'm not really equipping anybody to reproduce and multiply. That's what Randy taught me. I remember one time I was in the city of Kursk in Russia, Kursk is right on the Ukraine border. A lot of hard stuff going on there. You can pray for them because some of my leaders are kind of drinking the Putin Kool-Aid. And others are literally going into Ukraine to provide relief for what their army just did somewhere. It's just a mess. But Alex is my closest friend. I've known him since 2005. I've been in his home. i watched his kids grow up. I've celebrated their birthdays. Watched them get married and have kids of their own. I watched the, uh, Alex kick them out of their bedroom so I'd have a place to lie down. And Alex and I were talking about this passage. And he said the strangest thing to me. He said, Don, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. What, what's a disciple? And, and, and what does it mean to make one? I don't understand what you're saying. Uh, our, our Bible doesn't even really say that. So the average Russian church service is two to two, get this now, two to two and a half hours long with three sermons, not, not two, one, not one, three. Because that's, that's what they believe they're supposed to do. I'll explain why that happened. But this is my best, most trusted Russian friend. I love this guy. He elected to stay in Russia when a hundred of his relatives moved here. So I'm with a Ukrainian missionary named David Andruziak and I'm in his city of Tomboff. And this guy really has a heart for helping everybody become disciples who make disciples to fulfill the Great Commission the way Jesus had in mind. And I was looking at him sitting on the couch with his 150-year-old synodal Baptist Bible. That's, that's what they had at the time. That was it. And he turned white as a sheet. And he goes, oh, my goodness, I think I found the problem. And he had. The translation was Wrong. It didn't say make disciples in this Bible. It said something else. The other thing that it said is the reason why they do three sermons instead of equip people to make disciples. That was a mistake in the translation. It's why they didn't understand me when I quote from... I don't speak Russian very well, so I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from this passage and they wonder if they're on the same page as me. So that's what we saw happen. The Russian Bible was a, was a problem. Now, it's hard when you're in Russia among proud people to bring correction in a case like that. So I asked my buddy David, who was from Ukraine, but a minister in Russia, as we go around, you need to unpack this so that when we teach people to make disciples, they'll understand why they didn't understand it before. So make disciples. So just picture this. You go to who it is God puts in your circle of influence. The word baptize means that we share the gospel with them and we baptize them. They come to Christ and then we teach them to do what Christ commanded. How to make disciples is found right here in this couple of verses. It's not rocket science. It's for you. It's for me. We have the spirit living within us. We have the word of God. So the methodology is to make disciples, to make disciples, who make disciples. So I'm not going to preach at you on the 23rd of September. I'm going to show you what it looks like with these really dear guys. Okay. This next one's important. The fourth meeting. This is where Jesus repeats the message of the gospel. He wants to make sure that before he leaves, that these guys have the gospel message straight. You know, um, this is essential. Don't, don't make the assumption that everybody around you can share their testimony, that everybody around you can present the gospel. We've discovered that that's not the case oftentimes in our, our trips overseas. This is probably hours before Jesus left. This is his fourth meeting. He's getting ready to go. And it's in Luke. And the facet here on this is uh, the, the message of the gospel itself. Let's read this. Now he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. That all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would would suffer, you would rise again from the dead the third day, that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high so again folks this is the fourth facet the fourth great commission statement in the fourth meeting he probably had lots of meetings but, but these are the great commission ones and he wanted to focus in on do you guys understand what the prophets said about me do you understand what the law of Moses said about me do you understand the basics of the gospel so that you don't share it incorrectly but share it clearly And he puts those elements right in here. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised again. People are going to repent. They're going to be forgiven for their sins. That's what I came to do. That's what he wants to get across. Remember I told you about David Andrusiak, the guy who found that problem with the Russian Bible. He invited Randy and I. Randy and I traveled overseas to Tombov, Russia. And he said, I've got 10 young people. And we're going to be out at this, this Christian camp. It's a beautiful setting. We're going to have them for three days. You know, for Randy and me, it was a dream come true to have three days with ten young people. Now, these people are being trained with some heavy stuff. Russians like heavy stuff. Hermeneutics, systematic theology, apologetics. and you know, getting all this stuff, you know, in classes, seminars that they had out there b- before Randy and I ever got there. So this is the next class. And, and the pastors are kind of proud guys. And so they're saying, what are you going to teach them? Well, we're going to show them what a disciple is. How to be one who, who makes one, the third and fourth generation. We're going to teach them how to share with anybody around them. And they, they laughed at us. They say, you silly men. You, they know this. this what, you came all this way to do that? Ha ha. They know this stuff already. They run rings around you guys. Do you understand what it is we've been teaching them? Well, okay. Randy just kind of winked at me. I knew he was up to something. We were there to teach on discipleship. We had this lunch in this cafeteria. And and the ten students are sitting around on the table. At this table. And uh, Randy and I were there. And the pastors were there. And David and Drusiak, our interpreter, was there. And um, Randy winked at me. This guy's fearless. He He stirs up trouble sometimes, you know. He said, okay, well, your pastor's told us the good news, that you guys all know how to share your story, how you came to faith in Christ, and how to present God's story, the gospel, to the lost around you. We have an hour for lunch. Let's, you know, we want to get better acquainted. Let's go around the table and let's do it. And how amazed the pastors were when not one of them could. Not one. Now they knew Christ and they, they had a story. They just hadn't learned how to unpack it and articulate it clearly. Sometimes we find, I have found out there, people are busy or resistant or it's noisy and loud and there are a lot of distractions. He might give you three minutes to share your story and he might give you three to five to share the gospel. It might be all the time you get and you're trying to do it through an interpreter so that doubles the time you need. Maybe they want to hear everything about your life. That's when it's awesome when that happens but these folks couldn't do it. Really amazing. So we had, but we had three wonderful days now, now, four or five of the people of the ten, they were most excited that they had other career paths other than the pastorate. And we were telling them, okay, you're going to be an engineer, you're going to be a math teacher, you're going to be a nurse. I can, I can follow that pathway and be a great commissioned disciple-making person? I've never heard that before. I thought I was going to have to learn how to use one of these pulpits. I didn't know that I could do that in the... The area in where I'm gifted and have all this natural ability, that's wonderful. So we had three days with them. And as we taught them, just, just a simple little tool for building your story and sharing the gospel a variety of different ways. And in the, in the context of Russia, we had them role play a little bit. They're talking to each other. They're sharing with each other, going back and forth. Most of the time, these dear friends said, I never knew that about you. Really? So they're really getting to know each other. And as they learned then to build the gospel story using a couple of different tools that, that seemed to be, to fit the Russian culture really well, they had fun with that too. And it was at a time before pandemic and poor, before uh, the war. And so ma- my friend Randy made up a word and laid it on him. Here's a new word you haven't heard before. He said, okay, we're going we're to go out in the parks. We're going to share with people who are out in the parks walking around. He said, we're going to move from the theoretical to the practical to the actical. Yeah. Like that word? All of Randy's words work. They're just not in the dictionary. And, and so my wonderful interpreter looked at me, Don, what is actical? And Randy goes, gee, Don, did I do it again? I said, yeah, you did it again. Point is, folks, as people went out into the parks, and found openness and receptivity. And when they came back in after a couple of hours, my friend David and looked at them and said they look different. They have a glow in their countenance. God just used them. They saw God move amongst the lost in this park. In just a couple of hours, they came back saying, Randy, Don, where are you going next? We had these other cities to go to. They wanted to come with, so they got a van, and they came with us, and they took over everything. That's how excited they were. God can use our lives. <clears throat> I get a little concerned sometimes, you guys, uh, about this. I, I guess I could be an angry author too, because you know I wonder sometimes, Lord, why did he take so long to send a Randy into my life to help me, you know? And uh, and yet I'm I'm very grateful that he did twenty five years ago. Um, there are a couple of books that were written about Russian ministry years ago. Of all things, this book is called Co-Mission, connects with the word commission. And it was from 1993 to 1998 in Russia, about 40 mission agencies came together. Billy Graham Association, the Navigators, Campus Crusade. They put all the CEOs around the table, came up with a strategy to reach the now open Russia. They were going to fill stadiums and share the gospel. And they were going to bring public, Christian public school teachers over there to help Russian teachers integrate Christianity into Russian Classroom curriculum. Believe it or not, that's what they wanted to do, you know. Not quite 25 years ago. So they celebrate that, that five years. I'm afraid to tell you that there's no evidence that any of it happened. Why is that? Why does filling stadiums and trying to change school curriculum not produce disciples? What, what was missing I learned a little bit more when I went to a place called Nizhny Novgorod and I went into a, a building where there was a, a church and I recognized it. I'd seen it in some pictures in another book called Russian Harvest. Can you imagine? 1,500 churches planted by Kentucky Baptists who went there to put up buildings. So they put up buildings during about that same time as the commission, all these buildings for the Russian churches. And at first they were full. I came along much later and these pastors are saying to me, Don, you need to bring teams of North Americans here to evangelize our neighborhoods so that we have people to preach to because you see our churches are now empty. They were full at first, but they're empty now. Well, why are they empty? Well, we don't know. They just don't want the word, we guess. So, so those are the things we faced over there. And the Lord always brings us back to his great commission and, and how we're functioning to equip everybody. With the last facet, folks... The last great commission facet is... Um, next slide here. Is the means. Acts 1.8. Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. Interesting thing. Incapable people with a limited understanding being promised to have the indwelling spirit empower us for this amazing work of making disciples. This was critical. If we're going to understand God's plan, if we're going to be God's people, if we're going to be filled with what God wants us to do, we're going to need his power. There is no other way. There is no other way. Do you guys believe that? You can find all kinds of slick gimmicks, programs and curriculums. You can use the internet and find anything you want. But if you do that in the flesh, it's going to fall flat and dead right before you. One more story. I was in Juha in Ecuador with a young man who was supposed to be a church planter in a village. The Roman Catholic priest went around to everybody in that village knowing that we were coming. And he told everybody there, if you talk to these North Americans, you're going to be excommunicated and go to hell. This young man is supposed to plant church there. So we get out there, and he goes, what are we going to do? They, you know, they're nice people, but they won't talk to you. They won't talk to me. What should we do? Oh, oh, wait a minute. My phone's ringing. Yeah? Yes, I do have some North Americans here. What, what is it? What's going on? We're, yeah, we're a little team of uh, you know, Ecuadorians. And What? You have a rice farm. Okay, where is it? Oh, it's one mile down the road from where we're standing right now. You're the owner of the rice farm? Yep. You don't know why you're calling me. You have no idea why you're calling me, but you want us to come down there and talk to your employees. Okay, see ya. We pile in cars. We drive the one mile. We pull up to this big rice farm that's got homes around it and one big house in the center. It's the owner. The owner's not a believer. Nobody believers. But this this guy who was unsaved said, I want you to go around and just talk to the people about whatever it is you're here for. Right now, I just want them to stop using their machetes on each other. Maybe you can talk some sense into them. This is one mile from where this young pastor was supposed to plant the church. We went out, we split up, and we went <laughs> eat in different directions. And by the time we got back for dinner, 60 people had come to Christ, including the people who owned the farm. And we had our first church service the night of that day where this church was born, one mile from where the church planter thought he was supposed to be. Now, who, who knew? Who knew? How much power was exerted from what Christ accomplished on the cross. We had a marvelous time of praise. And the the young church planter said, well, I guess I was just a mile off. This is where we're supposed to plant this church. Plainly, God made that obvious. I have one more slide. I want to show this to you guys. These are just people I know. People I love. Russians, Ecuadorians, neighbors. People in this corporate chaplaincy thing that I do. People everywhere. If you're asking who to start with having a cup of coffee on a weekly basis just to pour into them, pray for them, get into the word with them, lead them to Christ so they don't know the Lord, that's your oikos, that's your circle of influence, that's that's as far as you need to go. If we all did that, just imagine the world impact. And so, Father, I want to thank you for these dear friends. I'm so grateful for their their generosity, their prayers, their encouragement. They've, they've been other places around the world with me with us and you've been so faithful now lord i'm just praying that these five facets of the great commission would sink in deeply these parting words of yours were all shared just before you left the world you saved those five important passages for us and for that particular time thank you send us lord we belong to you in christ's name
0: amen well, when we impact God's Word, we don't want to just be somebody who knows the Word. We want to know the person of Jesus Christ. And you can't know Jesus just by knowing things about Him. You need to know Him personally. And so this is the thing I want you to understand this morning. Do you have a relationship with Almighty God? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, He created you to have a relationship with Him. Did you know that? He? You were wonderfully and fearfully made in your mother's womb. You were created to know God. The problem is we've sinned. We've done something wrong in our past, in our present, and undoubtedly in our future. And that sin separates us from Almighty God. You see, God requires perfection in heaven. And not one of us, including you, including myself, we're not perfect. And so sin separates us from Almighty God. And what people try to do is they try to get to God by religion. They try to get to God by doing good works or to prove themselves. But none of these things will get us to God. In fact, our righteousness is but filthy rags, is what Scripture says. And so it requires a miraculous, uh, a, a miraculous happening. And that miraculous happening is this. It's not ourselves. It's what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. You see, God came 2,000 years ago as the God-man, Jesus Christ, to stand in our place, to take the punishment of our sin, to take on God's wrath. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sins. He stood in your place, and God saw your sin upon Christ. And Jesus died on the cross. The wrath of God came upon Christ. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. Jesus Christ died for you. But because he's a perfect, sinless sacrifice, he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And his resurrection demands now our response. And the question is this. Have you placed your full faith in Jesus Christ? Upon Jesus Christ, what he did for you. The Bible says this that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ was risen from the dead, you will be saved. All those who cry out in the name of the Lord will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, that means die spiritually, but have everlasting life. Have you personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus? If you're not sure or you know you haven't, Right now is the time. You might think like, well, let me get things figured out first. No, let's. today's the day of your salvation, Scripture says. That means that you come as you are, but Christ doesn't leave you as you are. He takes you where he is going. So why don't you just pray with me right now? Why, why don't you consider Jesus? Why don't you place your faith and trust in Jesus right now? Uh, this prayer that I'm about to pray isn't going to save you. It's Christ who's already saved you. I'm just helping you communicate to God. So if you want to place your faith and trust with Jesus right now, will you just pray along with me to say, Lord Jesus, I realize I've sinned and I realize I need a Savior. So Lord Jesus, will will you save me? I place my full faith and trust upon you. Thank you for dying on the cross, saving me from my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead. Help me follow you now. I trust you, Jesus. Jesus' name. Amen. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus right now, the Bible says you have become a son or daughter of the King. You have been forgiven of your sins. And know this, that once you are held in the grip of God, nothing can pluck you from His hand. Also know this, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, there's a party in heaven happening right now. Uh, When just one person gives their life to Jesus, The angels rejoice in heaven.
1: As a church, it is our honor to be a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. If you became a Christian today, your next step is baptism. Baptism is when you go public with your faith in Jesus as a symbol of going from an old life into a new one. If you would like to find out more about baptism, all you have to do is go to events. Beyond that, if you want to know more about your next steps as a new Christian, all you have to do is go to kenosha.church slash next steps.